Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be speaking with Tom Goom. Tom is a physiotherapist based in Brighton, England, who specializes in running injuries. He has over 15 years of clinical experience and shares his knowledge with clinicians and runners around the world through his website, Running Physio, and very popular running repairs course. Tom, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. You were a very experienced physiotherapist who has worked in the NHS in private practice with sporting teams and who teaches many physios and other clinicians around the world. And so I was hoping we could speak today about some common mistakes that you see physios making. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great idea. I mean, I think I should start by saying that the mistakes we're going to talk about, I would I would say they're mistakes I've made. You know, um, we've got to hold our hands up sometimes and, and recognize that, you know, none of us are perfect. So but the key thing is, if we are making mistakes, that we, we need to learn from them and, and challenge our practice so that we're, we're progressing. Uh, I think one of the key ones that, that I see quite a lot is, is a too much focus on passive therapies, what I call the poke and hope approach. So um, someone comes in, classic example of this recently, uh, with lateral hip pain. And, uh, you know, they're seeing me, but they've actually seen two or three people before. And each of the people they've seen have gone for that classic kind of poke and hope approach. So they've identified they've got uh, lateral hip pain and they've gone in there and they've done some really heavy deep tissue massage. You know, they've got the elbow involved thinking, you know, I can really work into this and actually just made the patient quite a lot worse. Um, and I think sometimes with clinicians, we, we get a little bit over-focused on these kind of passive things, sometimes massage, sometimes acupuncture, sometimes electrotherapy. You could also argue maybe injections. Uh, we, can't, we kind of seem to use the same approach again and again and again without necessarily challenging it, without considering other options. So I think that is quite a common approach and it's still very much out there in clinical practice, unfortunately. Um, I still see a number of patients that have, have seen, you know, clinicians and really have had that, that uh, you know, poke and hope approach. Um, and I think linked to that is maybe that we, we don't recognize enough that we can make people worse. And I think that's something that we need to be aware of, particularly if we're going to go into things like, you know, deep tissue massage or injections. There is actually a risk here that we can make people worse. So I think we need to bear that in mind. And sometimes we need to communicate that to the patient. You know, they might be saying, oh, I really feel you need to get in there and work on this. And we might have to say, well, actually, that could make it a lot more sore. There might be better approaches for you that are going to get you uh, to your, your goals quicker without flaring up your symptoms. Does that mean we should be moving away from passive therapies towards active therapies and management? Uh, I, think, I think so on the whole. Um, the way I tend to look at it in clinic is I want to have the key treatment approaches in place first, the ones that have got good evidence behind them and the ones that we know work clinically. So quite often with people that will revolve around education so the person understands their problem and uh, there may be load management sides uh, to it uh, and often some form of progressive rehab that guides them towards their goal. So we want those things in place first. Now, then if you choose to bring in something else that may help that process, um, I see that as, as potentially as an adjunct, which is often the term used. And I don't mind those things being used as, as an adjunct if they're appropriate, but not to sacrifice those key treatment approaches. And that's often what we see. So a gentleman I saw recently, a runner with Achilles pain, had, had 24 sessions of ultrasound therapy. 
but nobody had advised him on his training. So no one had adjusted his load management. No one had explained uh, Achilles tendinopathy to him. So he didn't actually understand the condition and no one had given him progressive rehab. So he was having this adjunctive care that wasn't doing anything for him and all the key pieces were missing. So we bring those key pieces in first and quite often they're effective on their own. But if they're not, we may consider some adjunctive care if we can reason through how it's you know, useful for that particular individual. What are your thoughts on adjunctive therapy as placebo? I do think uh, everything we do has uh, potential non-specific effects or placebo effects, uh, even exercise, our reassurance, our education. So, you know, that that is a part of what we do. And there may be some, you know, placebo effects involved in these hands-on things, perhaps more so than the, you know, the actual specific effects. But there is something that a lot of these hands-on treatments have that we maybe don't get so much of from our other treatments is they can create an immediate short-term reduction in pain. Uh, And that can be useful for patients if it leads to them uh, doing their rehab better or, um, and this is often what I have in clinic, if they need a short-term reduction in pain because they've got a big race coming up. So your classic example there would be a runner coming to see me, you know, maybe on the Wednesday or Thursday before a marathon that weekend, they were a really, you know, really sore, tight calf. Now, load management, education, strength and conditioning is not going to really do much for that calf in the remaining two or three days pre-marathon. But if we can do something hands-on that makes that calf more comfortable, you know, obviously after a good assessment to make sure we know what it is, but we can do something hands-on that reduces their pain for a short period, that's where I can see that being uh, potentially quite useful. Uh, But always got to be a, a clinical reasoning process that underpins it. What I wouldn't want with that runner is that they're coming back to see me, you know, three times a week forever for massage. And at no point am I looking at their, you know, their load management, their education, their strength and conditioning, their progressive rehab, etc. You said before that you would rather clinicians focusing on the key components of management rather than the adjunctive therapies. So what exactly are clinicians missing out? Well, I think um, a big thing is the, you know, the education to help the person understand their pain. And that's, you know, quite common. People come to see me for second or third opinion. They've not really had it, uh, the, the problem explained to them. So I think there's a lot to be gained in taking time to explain someone's condition to them and to try and reframe it if we can in a positive light that then facilitates the rest of the, the management process. Often the first step in this is to ask the patient what their beliefs are. So, you know, you can ask them what they believe the injury is and they may well give it a label. You know, they might say, oh, I've got a, you know, I've got Achilles tendinopathy, but explore that a bit more and say, well, what do you actually think is going on in that tendon? Um, and that's when they might sort of say, oh, I think that, you know, um, my tendon's got, you know, lots of small ruptures in it. And if I keep running or keep exercising, it's going to tear altogether. And that gives you that opportunity to then explain, well, actually, no, the tendon is a strong, resilient tissue. Um, it adapts to exercise and it can get stronger in response to running and rehab. But what we've got to do is find the right level for you um, and then gradually build from there. So I think we've got to take that time to to really reframe that injury in a positive way. Because if that belief goes unchallenged, then we say to that person, right, you need to continue running. You need to do heavyweight rehab. That's not really going to sit right with them. Um, and there's a chance they, they won't do their rehab, actually, um, or they, they will go and seek a different opinion because it doesn't quite you know make sense to them. 
And actually, we see that in uh, in some of the research, you know, five-year outcomes with Achilles tendon pain actually are influenced by kinesiophobia, fear of movement. You know, so we want to get in there and explore that and address it um, as early as possible in the treatment process. When you're speaking with these patients, are there any words, phrases, any language at all that you avoid when discussing running injuries? I tend to avoid a lot of the mechanical language. So um, I don't use wear and tear. Um, I don't tend to use an out of alignment, maltracking, um, degeneration. Um, I'm not a big fan of those phrases because we want people to have a positive perception of their return to sport and a positive perception of how their body will respond to sport. Once you place those mechanical terms in someone's mind, it's quite difficult to have that positive perception and not see running as somehow damaging for them. So I much prefer um, more neutral terms. I use the word sensitive a lot, uh, inflamed, irritated, overworked. Um, and that allows us to then say, okay, well, the knees are a bit inflamed and sensitive at the minute because it's been a bit overworked. Uh, but actually, if we bring the, the exercise down to a more manageable level, that will calm down it will become less sensitive and then we'll be able to gradually build you up to where you want to be. We can, you know, it doesn't have to be a long explanation, but it can be simple and not involve, you know, all those scary terms um, that the patient uh, probably won't really benefit from focusing on. If a particular body part or tissue has been overworked, how do you then go about talking through load management with your patients? Well, I I really like uh, an activity line. And uh, hopefully we can, you know, we can share an image of this for your uh, listeners. Um, so if you just imagine an, with the activity line at one end of the activity line, you've got no activity whatsoever. So, you know, taking to your bed for a week doing nothing. Uh, and at the other end of the activity line, you've got doing far too much. It's kind of maximum activity. Um, and w- we can then communicate to that person, actually ask the patient, you know, what would happen if you just laid in, in your bed for a week? And they'll be able to answer you and say, oh, I, I get stiff, I get, I probably get weaker, my fitness would reduce, and um, maybe my pain would actually get worse because I'm not really moving. But what happens if you go the other end of the spectrum? What happens if you really go for it? You know, you go and run a marathon every day for a week. Um, and they'll be able to tell you as well, well, I'd probably end up very sore, very tight, maybe a, a bit more inflamed and that would aggravate it. So we're looking for that middle ground on that activity line that we call the sweet spot between underload and deconditioning and all the kind of negatives that go with that and overload and tissue irritation. Um, and I think we, with our athletes, we can try and find that sweet spot through a really good subjective assessment. So would that activity line be similar for most of the patients that you see in clinic? Yeah, I think um, we might uh, adapt it uh, a little bit, but what we really want to get from our subjective information from them is, you know, what what is an amount of activity that doesn't cause a lasting flare-up in your symptoms, particularly a flare-up into the next day? And, and that helps me to find that sweet spot um, because if we can find out what that is, um, we can then say, okay, well, this is manageable for you at the minute. It's not causing a lasting or severe increase in your pain. Let's work with what's manageable and gradually progress towards where you want to be. And of course, that's where knowing the patient's goal is so, so important because we really need to know where we're actually heading with it. So, you know, we find out what's manageable, we find out where they want to be, and then we plan a route to get there.
Um, and of course, part of this process, um, it is important to individualize and adapt to patients' needs. And I think a, another mistake that we do sometimes make is, if, is failing to individualize our treatment and adapt to, to what the patient needs uh, with us. And I must admit, this is an area where I've, I've certainly made mistakes. So to give you an example recently, working with uh, a really lovely patient who had lateral hip pain. Now, she, in her history, uh, she was perimenopausal um, and she also had some thyroid dysfunction. And we know these, these individual factors can influence the tendon's health and its ability to adapt to load. But also this, this patient was really, really well motivated. She was that personality type where, you know, she really would do anything that you suggested to her. And I didn't really adapt to her rehab enough to take these things into account. I think I progressed her too rapidly. Um, and of course, because she was that personality type, very driven, very happy to do it. She went off and did these exercises and it created a significant flare up in her symptoms. And we were able to calm it down and get back on track. But that's, that's the highlight there is that I'm, I've not fully considered her individual needs, the things that would be influencing her tendon health, as well as her personality in my selection of the rehab. So wherever possible, you know, we think about this activity line, but we really want to know the person and then know what their individual needs are to plan the progression towards their goals. If we focus on this patient with lateral hip pain, do you think it's really important to diagnose the problem before then working through management with that patient? I think it's important to have a working diagnosis. And by that, I mean, um, you know, a hypothesis about what the issue is. And that might be flexible. It might be that that evolves over time with more inf uh, information. But I do think we need to have some kind of working diagnosis um, for a lot of people. Uh, I acknowledge there may be some complex areas where we can't. But sometimes it does actually shape management. So let's think about this, this lady. If she's presenting with, with hip pain, let's say she's a runner presenting with um, hip pain um, and it's spreading down the thigh into the leg. Now, there's a very important pathology here that we really need to be able to identify if it's there, and that would be a femoral neck stress fracture. I mean, these things do happen in runners. They're a high-risk stress fracture. They often need six to eight weeks of non-weight bearing. So if I'm kind of working a little bit blind here, I've kind of penciled this as sort of a non-specific hip pain, and I'm just kind of working down that route. There's a real potential here that I could be missing something that it's it's high risk because it may actually progress to a fractured neck of femur. So I'd, I'd want in, in this patient presenting with this hip pain to have some form of working diagnosis to get that through a good subjective and objective assessment, the right kind of diagnostic tests. Um, and then to know when, you know, imaging and things are going to be appropriate rather than just continuing to work with this person without really having, you know, any idea about what may be driving their symptoms. When you are working through management of a patient's problem with that patient and going through the shared decision making process, how much do you focus on stretching and how much do you focus on strengthening? I would say probably 90% um, strengthening. Uh, maybe 10% stretching, something like that. Um, you know, I've really tended to move away from doing lots and lots of static stretching in recent years uh, because actually for a lot of runners, they're going to benefit more from being stronger than they are from doing lots of lots of stretching work. We, we, if we think about that example we talked about there with the person with lateral hip pain, that, that's an example where sometimes stretching can make things worse. You know, another example of where actually we need to recognize that our interventions can make things worse because if that lateral hip pain is down to a, a gluteal tendinopathy, 
doing lots of stretches um, usually does aggravate it uh, because we think it leads to more tendon compression. And actually, that's something that we see a lot in clinic where people have, have you know, haven't responded well to physio for lateral hip pain. They've been given like pigeon pose stretches and piriformis stretches and ITB stretches. And actually, all they're doing is just really irritating the tendon. So um, that clinician may not have considered they could make things worse. And so often we need to remove those stretches from the program um, in these more kind of insertional uh, tendinopathies. There's also evidence, too, that if you want lasting increase in flexibility, um, you may be better strengthening with the tissues in the length and position with a more eccentric bias. So, you know, if I'm really wanting to improve uh, length of tissue and flexibility, I'd be more inclined to load people in length and positions rather than sending them off with lots of static stretches that might actually only cause a short-term uh, increase in flexibility. The exception to the rule here is when stretching helps symptoms. And so if a patient's telling me, well, I've got this really tight calf and if I give it a good stretch, it, it feels a lot better for it absolutely fine i'm quite happy with the patient to be using those stretches if they help their symptoms but it should be about using stretching for a specific goal such as improving pain and not about giving every runner a huge list of static stretches as a kind of generic approach uh, that we have seen for a long time in athletes tom i want to be mindful of your time but before we let you go could you leave our listeners with one other common mistake that you see physios and other clinicians making yeah, I think um, it's quite common, particularly in sports injuries, to forget the, the psycho and the social parts of the biopsychosocial model. And actually, kind of a bit more than this, to, to recognize how interwoven everything is. You know, we look at that biopsychosocial model and it's very easy to, to put it into these three neat little categories of bio and psycho and social. But the reality is it, it doesn't work like that. It's about knowing the person and seeing how interwoven all these different things are. So, for example, you, you look at a runner's uh, and you think, OK, this person has pain because of training error. You think that's a load management issue. But how we train is a behavior which is influenced by how we think and how we feel and external pressures um, on us, such as coaching. So actually, there's going to be beliefs that influence our training and beliefs that influence our recovery and rehab. So all these things are very much interwoven. You know, our, our strength, we might think of as, a, as, you know, perhaps part of the kind of biological side of things. But strength is influenced by fatigue levels, which are influenced by how much training you do. But they're also influenced by your lifestyle, by your sleep, by your recovery, by your rest. So all these things are so, so, so interwoven. And I think really a key thing for people is I'd, I'd encourage them to really try to get to know their athlete, you know, know about them as a person, know about their lifestyle, know about drivers for their training and beliefs around training, as well as beliefs for pain. You know, know why their sport is so, so important to them. Um, and then obviously do a good assessment to work out what their rehab needs are, have a good working diagnosis. And that allows you to form a good connection with that person and work together with all the information that, that you need to gradually progress them uh, towards achieving their goals. Tom, thank you very much for your time today. If our listeners would like to find out more about you or your work, where should they go? 
Um, I'd love it if people uh, said hello on Twitter. I'm very, uh, very active there. I'm at Tom Goom. Uh, there's also my website, which is running-physio.com. And um, we have our running repairs course. Uh, if you'd like to know more about running injury, there's uh, both the, the weekend courses and now the online course with that. Um, if you'd like to find out more about helping your runners in clinic. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really good. Thank you for listening to this BGSM podcast with Tom Goom. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect through our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BGSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BGSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.